Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, a look back at the life and times of the great Jim Varney. And I'm also going to look at what I believe is one of the most underrated kid shows of all time, Haven, It's Ernest. Okay, here we go. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. Jim Varney brought us the beloved character of Ernest P. Worrell. He would often appear on the big screen, but he did make the jump to a TV show, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And this is a topic I love Jim Varney. He he was... To me, like I was like in the exact right wheelhouse for his type of comedy and his type of humor. And it, I don't know, it's just something about him completely resonated with me. The, the movies as well, a few of the classics, he made a lot more than I even realized. But a lot of this stuff, which I find relatively groundbreaking, especially when we look back at Haven, it's Ernest, which we'll get to in a little bit, which you may not remember. Uh, I remember very well. It was short-lived, but we'll cover all that in a bit. And before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. And on a side note, as uh, I mentioned this on Patreon.com, and this is just, I don't know if you want to call these announcements or interesting things of the week. If you are on Disney Plus, you may or may not have noticed this very quiet announcement, uh, not even an announcement, a release of a new category in Star Wars called, called Star Wars Vintage. And I didn't see anything mentioned about this. It's kind of this throwback retro little mini channel within Star Wars on Disney Plus. And it's got things like the Ewoks cartoon from the 80s, which was great. It's also got those live action Ewok shows like um, Caravan of Courage or the Battle for Endor, which were kind of awful, but amazing at the time because it was you know, new Star Wars content when you were a kid. Um, We only got three of the movies at the time and you had to wait a while. This was just new stuff. So Disney Plus has put this out. And then a very interesting release, a nine-minute cartoon called The Faithful Wookiee. And if you've hung around this podcast before, you know how much I'm consumed with the infamous Star Wars holiday special. And if you've seen the special, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to just go back to the earlier episodes. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. So wherever you're listening, uh, whatever it's on, like Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, whatever, just with the description of the show, I'll put a link to my episode about the Star Wars holiday special. 
So this thing is critically panned. It's one of the worst things ever aired on TV. But the one redeeming part of this special is this little nine-minute cartoon in the middle of the show. And it just sort of comes out of nowhere and it's not really connected to anything. And Disney Plus has taken this little bit from the Star Wars Holiday Special and put it into this Star Wars vintage package. But they haven't put any context about this thing. They've just released it as the faithful Wookiee, which is sort of the core of the story, um, seeing how Chewbacca doesn't turn on his friends. And this is the very first appearance of Boba Fett ever. But, you know, for so many people who didn't get to see the special, they didn't know about him and wouldn't see him until The Empire Strikes Back. So it's so weird that Disney would put this out because the Star Wars holiday special has been just disowned by everyone who had anything to do with it, you know, George Lucas. And now um, the fact that Disney owns, owns it and Lucasfilm and all the people involved with it just refuse to acknowledge this thing ever exists. So it's pretty astounding that this thing is now out there. The closest thing they've come is the acknowledgement of Life Day, which is the Wookiee holiday, which is the whole premise of the Star Wars holiday special. That's They mentioned that in the first season of The Mandalorian. Then there's also the Disney, the Lego Star Wars holiday special they released, which again has references to Life Day and stuff like that. So the fact that they've actually taken real footage like real um portion of this infamous special and released it is pretty groundbreaking if you're remotely a fan of the the holiday special so maybe it's getting one step closer to the fact disney will fully recognize that this thing's existed and you know do a full proper release and like a remastered whole deal but we can only hope so yeah that's what i just mentioned um on patreon and the people there if you want to learn more about patreon i'll I'll cover more about that at the end of the show because we've got to get to jim varney so again growing up in the 80s there's several things that had this sort of profound influence on me i like you know all the usual video games the same comic book cartoons all that stuff but Again, I love things like Pee-wee's Playhouse, and I love the Far Side comics. Those things like really appeal to my sensibilities. And like I mentioned, it was the work of Jim Varney as Ernest P. Worrell. And it's, again, another one of those things where you feel like this character and the humor is made just for you. Like, it's like they knew exactly what would make you laugh. But, you know, it turns out a lot of other people felt the same way as the work of Jim Varney spread over the decades. So let's look at the early days before everything with um, Ernest and then into the Haven, it's Ernest show. And then again, I recommend checking out the blog version of this show. So it's uh, got more like some of the early video clips, pictures, everything like that. So same thing, wherever you're listening to this, wherever the show notes are, I'll put a link to it. So here's the early days. So Jim Varney was a lifelong performer. That included some stand-up work. Um, His act, it reminded me a little, kind of a combination of Jeff Foxworthy and Tim Allen put together. But it just... Stand-up comedy just didn't work out for him. And, um, you know, he tried to make it in L.A. And um, it just wasn't happening. He ended up moving back to his hometown. So this was in 1980. And then he would end up getting a call from a man that would be instrumental in his work over the coming decades, a guy named John Cherry. So Cherry had worked in advertising. And they thought um, 
you know, Varney might be a good guy to use. And they had actually already used him in a local commercial in the seventies, but they're like, Hmm, there might be something more to this guy. And they now, the main thing is they had an idea for a new character and it was thought that Jim Varney would be perfect. So the commercial was going to be for a new amusement park. The problem was the park was still run down and they were in the process of restoring it, but they were trying to sort of build the hype. And they wanted to create some buzz, but they didn't want to show this sort of dilapidated park. The idea for the commercial was to have this guy who was super excited about the park talking to his neighbor about how great it was. This way, they could create awareness and excitement about the park without having to show it. So they had the basic idea for this character. This, this neighbor guy, but Jim Varney brought his own uniqueness and interpretation of it into what we now know as Ernest P. Worrell. And if you check the show notes, I've got these clips here, but if you're on YouTube, you can look up the early uh, Jim Varney Ernest commercials from 1983. So this, of course, would give rise to Ernest P. Worrell and Vern. So the simple ad was seen by another client called Purity Dairy, and they thought the character of Ernest would be the perfect way to advertise their products. They specifically wanted to go after the kid market, and the character of Ernest seemed to have great kid appeal. So I I barely remember these, but I do recall back when Jim Varney started doing out, uh, started doing more commercial work at a, on a little more national stage. You remember just him as this goofy looking guy with that, that thick Southern accent seemed like a cartoon character come to life. But now the ball really gets rolling. Advertisers were clamoring to get Jim Varney and more specifically Ernest into their commercials. He would end up appearing in every type of commercial you could imagine, especially with some very big names, including Sprite, Toyota, uh, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, Hoover, all the big ones. Over the course of his career, Jim Varney would do upwards of 3,000 commercials. Since these were big brands, the commercials, like I mentioned, were now airing all over the country, giving some massive exposure to Ernest. Along the way, we get introduced to his fictitious neighbor, Vern, who had been um, who he had been selling the products to. We also got his now trademark catchphrase, know what I mean. Another big part of the appeal was that all the ads had a very local feel as they were all filmed in Cherry's hometown, and they would often film up to 25 different commercials a day. This made the character of Ernest feel like a genuine neighbor and someone you knew. Varney also said how the idea of the character was the person everyone felt they knew or everyone grew up with. It was the guy who always had found the better deal or was more in the know about something new. But he doesn't come across like a jerk. He's just excited to share everything. You're probably picturing someone right now. I know I am. So now Ernest gets discovered. People and kids would be thrown off at first due to the, you remember it was the, the commercials were filmed in this fishbowl lens and it really distorted Ernest's already sort of bizarre appearance. Um, and I really threw some people off, but then that would fade to the humor and then what they called strong sponsor identification. And that's why he was used in 3000 commercials. They dubbed his appeal. This is a real term called, it was called redneck selling power. And it really taps into a huge market. Since this was the 1980s and with pretty much only three networks, there was a good chance that most of the country would see the same commercials, especially the big nationwide rollout ones. 
This led the character of Ernest to have massive popularity, and now he starts to make appearances all over the country. One event he would appear at was the Indy 500 in 1986, along with what was thought to be the main attraction, Mickey Mouse. It's an article I found from the LA Times that shares how both Ernest and Mickey rode around in the pace car, but Mickey was seemingly ignored while the crowds went crazy for Ernest P. Worrell. Since the event featured a Disney character, some of the Disney brass were also on hand, including Disney CEO Michael Eisner. Eisner, of course, couldn't ignore how the crowds were going nuts for this person instead of the world-famous mouse. Disney, who of course only sees dollar signs, wanted to get on board with Jim Varney and Ernest P. Worrell. So before, like I said, before we get to the TV show, everything, Ernest would hit... um, a few big screens and that would get him even more exposure. And of course that started with Ernest goes to camp. I loved Ernest goes to camp. This is a movie that was in like regular rotation at my house. Like I feel like we watched it weekly. And again, I couldn't believe that there's this real life character who's just totally appealing to my sense of humor. Ernest Goes to Camp was made on a really small budget, so there was no way for it to be a financial failure, which was kind of the intent with it. The plot is really simple, and it's just about Ernest as a camp counselor trying to save their camp from being torn down. The movie features a ton of gags, uh, especially ones they had already used in commercials, and especially like the small local ones they were able to recycle because most people hadn't seen them. It also allowed Varney to do some deeper acting. And I remember the scene of him getting the crap beat out of him by uh, the late Lyle Alzado as pretty upsetting, and he was really able to sell it as all great comedians are. The movie came out on May 22nd, 1987, was generally well-received. The movie was geared towards kids, and families and critics were aware that they weren't exactly going to see or reviewing Citizen Kane. Ernest Goes to Camp made $23.5 million on a budget of only $3 million, so it ended up being a surprise moneymaker and a bigger hit than they were expecting. The movie also showed producers that Ernest was a valuable property, so... Uh, the next idea was getting him to the small screen uh, instead of you just making him like a, a movie property. They thought the best way to make use of this character and his popularity was to get him on TV. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And that leads us to Hey Vern, It's Ernest. Hey Vern, today's your lucky day. We knew you wouldn't want to oversleep, Vern. We only do it once a week, Vern. Me and all the other guys, Vern. We even brought the pies, Vern. It's the Ernest P. Borrow with a story and a moral and a big chuckle, hip trip, double dip, super super show. You know what I mean? Hey, Vern, we moved your furniture and now we're gonna fire up the barbecue, Vern. We owe it all to you, Vern. But now you gotta move, Vern. 
So John Cherry was once again the man behind getting Haver and Cernus onto TV. His production company, the Earnshell Producers Group, joined forces with CBS to bring Ernest P. Worrell to the small screen. The idea behind the show was to use a sketch-based approach, but make it kid-friendly. It would give Varney the opportunity to be as creative as possible, which he was really held back from doing, uh, you know, like with an example of a movie or commercials or appearances and all that sort of thing. Varney was kind of limited with only performing the character of Ernest, and Hey Vern, it's Ernest would give him the opportunity to show off his really wide range of performance abilities because he's a genuinely um, professionally trained actor. So the show would be live action and really give everyone involved the chance to be as imaginative as possible. And that to me really came through. I hope you remember this show. If you didn't, um, you know, it, it's <clears throat> tough to kind of envisioned, but it really was at the forefront of creativity. It would air on Saturday mornings, which meant competing against our beloved cartoons. So since they would be live action, they took the approach of being like a live action cartoon. So it was quick moving sketches. It was multiple characters. It was quick cutaways. It it was really a, a cartoon come to life, which Ernest P. Worrell is. They would also focus on having one theme per week, such as outer space or magic or pets or sports. Everyone involved with the show was intent on making it wacky, but they were still responsible for making it beneficial to kids who were watching it. And this is one of the things I remember from the show. I felt that it did have a touch of educational aspect to it, but not in a boring way like the stuff they would force us to watch in schools. My focus was on getting this expanded earnest universe with a character I love. Um, and it, it felt like, you know, maybe with other shows, you weren't getting anything beneficial. I, to me, it felt like, okay, this is, there's maybe a little substance here. I'm not, I'm not going to brag about it to my mom saying this is like being at school. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of gross out humor, including Ernest's tongue, where his actual tongue would talk about tongue-related issues and then end up getting sprayed with different foods. Like, there, there's a lot of crazy stuff in this. But there was still that informative aspect to it so it kind of made you feel like you're getting something out of this show besides just all the gross out stuff so she'll look at how they put this show together so Ernest mania is running wild so getting this show out relatively quickly was paramount after the un- un- unexpected success of Ernest goes to camp that's not to say they shortchanged anything and cut corners. It's quite the opposite, actually. A great collection of actors and characters were developed to be able to give that more um, variation to the show and, again, c- create more of that live-action cartoon, especially with Jim Varney himself. So besides Ernest, if you remember the show, he also played Auntie um, um, Ned- Nelda, uh, Dr. Otto, remember he had that catchphrase would be like Viola or Eureka, California. He played Sergeant Glory, which was kind of a throwback to one of his first commercials in the 70s. And Sergeant Glory would help share the message about the subject of the day. There was Baby Ernest, which killed me. It was Varney dressed as a baby talking about his parents. There was Aster Clement, the rich uppity snob who was the complete opposite to the character of Ernest. Kind of, you know, again, back to the throwback 
comedy days of you know like Jackie Gleason would pay, would play Reginald Van Gleason in um, opposition to say like Ralph Cramden or the Poor Soul or whatever. And as I was looking back on this, I was like, I'm actually really seeing big parallels between Jim Varney and Jackie Gleason. There have been a lot, a ton of great uh, sketch comedians over the decades, but Varney and Gleason do have some similarities. Again, they both, I don't know if you're a Jackie Gleason fan. I'm I'm a huge one. The Honeymooners, again, was just something that was a big deal in my house because of my dad wanting to show it to us. But both him and Gleason had a wide range of acting talents, and these were reflected in the characters they had. Again, they could do the highbrow Reginald Van Gleeson, Astor Clement, but then, you know, dim-witted things. But they also specialized in physical comedy. Varney is so talented, he could recite Shakespeare off the top of his head, but he knew what his audience really wanted. Haven, it's Ernest, also brought along um, Bill Beerge as Bobby and Gaylord Sartan as Chuck, who you remember probably remember featured in many of the movies. They also go way back to the early commercial days. The show would still be filmed in that familiar fishbowl lens from the Ernest commercials, which again is used to heighten humorous appearances and to just let people know exactly what you're watching the second you turn it on. So let's look at the release of this TV show. So Hey Vernus Ernest debuted on September 17th, 1988, lasted for just 13 episodes, ending on Christmas Eve, 1988. That was it. Me personally, I went crazy for these shows because it was everything I loved about Ernest taken to another level. I didn't know there could be this much sort of variety and absurd humor. So to me, like I'm in heaven for this thing. It also had this, the intro, again, I've got the clip on the website or sort of the blog for this episode. The intro is reminiscent of Pee Wee's Playhouse, which I, I loved, everyone loved as well too. So it sort of captured on that, sort of pushed the wacky, but not as many people felt the same way. It's hard to tell what went wrong with it as it really is one of the most original and unique shows to come to TV in years. Some compared it to the great Rowan and Martin's Laughing from the 60s, and the focus on making the shows have an educational component um, was recognized. It didn't go unnoticed, as Haven its Ernest won Jim Varney a Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Performer in a Children's Series. I don't know, but they just, for whatever reason, I don't know if this is the shifting era as the Saturday I've covered this all on a show I did recently about where Saturday morning cartoons went and you know audiences were starting to grow up they were more gravitating towards new shows like Saved by the Bell and they um, animation was being more regulated it was more difficult to put out and I don't know if Haver and its earnest sort of was seen as too cartoonish and it fell in this category it's hard to tell what the problem was um it might have been going up against the, the the remaining cartoons that were still going strong. Um, it, it's hard to tell. It, it's it's always a tough go, especially this being the time of. Do you remember the CBS um, sort of promo when Saturday Rocks on CBS? There were still a ton of great cartoons as well as these new live action shows that could only be seen on Saturday mornings. So. Um, you know, you can only watch one thing at a time. So maybe Hey Vernus Ernest was pushed aside for a lot of people who still maybe weren't as familiar with them. 
but there were a lot of Ernest fans and they wouldn't take this lying down. An article in the Chicago Tribune uh, from July 8th, 1989 tells the story of a massive letter writing campaign to save the show. So good to know I wasn't the only one that loved it. The Ernest fan club had 30,000 members and they, along with Jim Varney, used the Emmy win and the writing campaign to make the network reconsider. This show had merit to it. It was worth letting kids watch, but it didn't work. So then Jim Varney and Ernest P. Worrell returned to the movies. It's funny because despite the failure of the TV show, the character of Ernest was still a super hot property. Maybe this was because people preferred seeing him in a full adventure. I don't know. Or that maybe now the audience again, was getting older, so they they liked Ernest, but they didn't like the child show aspect to it. They wanted to see more of like Ernest Goes to Camp sort of thing. Either way, Ernest was still a pretty decent movie draw, and Varney and Cherry would continue to put out Ernest properties over the coming years. There was one of my favorite Christmas movies, Ernest Saves Christmas, uh, which was amazing. And then I didn't realize the amount of Ernest movies that had followed. So there's Ernest Goes to Jail, I remember. Ernest Scared Stupid, I remember. Ernest Rides Again, I remember that. Then there was Ernest Goes to School, Slam Dunk Ernest. The impo- uh, Wait, Ernest Goes, I was going to say The Importance of Being Ernest. Ernest Goes to Africa, Ernest in the Army. Again, they had the formula down pretty well, which meant they could make these movies for next to nothing. So they usually turned a profit, even if you know they were ones that went straight to video. Again, I had stopped watching Ernest movies a while back, uh, so I missed probably half of those ones, or maybe vaguely remembered like, oh, cool, Ernest, you know, Jim Varney's still doing it. But in 1995, he would voice the character of Slinky Dog in a new CGI movie called Toy Story. And I remember seeing this, I mean, everyone saw Toy Story, but I remember specifically seeing it and then hearing the voice of Slinky Dog and taking a minute to register. And I knew that I knew who this voice was, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know if that was the same case for you or for a lot of people, because like, this is someone you grew up with, but you had sort of been away from him for a while. And then it was one of those things later that, it was, holy crap, that was Jim Varney. So um, I remember that sort of sense of joy when that, that sort of clicked in and then and then checking in the credits after that. It was one of my beloved childhood favorites. And even though there was a whole new generation that didn't know him, he still was able to make an impact on them. So I'll start winding it down here. Jim Varney would unfortunately pass away in the year 2000 at the very young age of 50. As tragic as this was, he no doubt left an indelible mark on a whole generation of kids. And he had fans all over the world. Even at this stage, um, as sick as he was at the time, he still had a few movies coming down the pipeline. One was called Ernest Goes to Space and another called Ernest and the Voodoo Curse. So, you know... As I'm finishing up, I'm clearly a big Jim Varney fan, and I also find it really unfortunate that Haven It's Ernest didn't last longer. I think it could have made an even bigger impact on the world of kids shows if it was just given some more time. I think it could have been an established hit. Uh, I don't know if along the lines of Pee-wee's Playhouse per se, maybe, or Schoolhouse Rock, but I, I think it could have been in the conversation. A guy as creative as Jim Varney would only continue to create, you know, and I think we missed out on a lot of 
what could have happened or that if this show was given more chance or, or if he was able to recreate it in another format, I, I think he could have put out one of the best kids shows of all time, uh, whether he, he rehashed it or just came at it from a new approach or they were, they gave it a few years and allowed him to get back into it, but whatever, you know, um, Shows like this were a dream come true to a kid to kid like me. Uh, the The movies were just exactly what I wanted to watch. It it took the character I already loved and put him into every circumstance you could think of. The TV show was off the rails, um, but just like his movies and like the man himself, it, you know everything he did had some character and warmth to it. So I'll finish it up there. Thank you for listening. Again. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I'd recommend, I don't know where you listen to your shows, but I'd recommend listening on Spotify. I don't know if you're a Spotify listener, but the Spotify podcast app has really improved, especially in the last few weeks. And they've done a lot of stuff as far as creating new sort of categories and making shows easier to find. And they have a website where you can discover new things. Um, it's not always the same top tens that you see the, you know, the same shows in the same categories. There's a lot more exposure to other, you know, shows like this. And that kind of leads into just what I'll quickly touch on with patreon.com, which is a way to support these type of small shows. So as the podcast world's growing, uh, it, it's tougher for smaller shows like this to stand out against, you know, corporations, celebrities, giant podcast networks. So patreon.com is a way to support and sort of donate to a show like this for, you know, like a few bucks a month, but you also get rewards depending on how much you contribute. There's different tiers and at different, the different tiers, there's the different audio rewards. So like at the Boba Fett level, I do the everything eighties movie club, which is a review of all the good, bad and ugly movies of the eighties. And, you know, again, different things at different tiers. If you want to see more, just go to patreon.com slash eighties. So P A T R E O N.com slash eight zero S or again, wherever the show notes you're listening, there'll be a link there too. But that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.